0: Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we got a tiny problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. Some of you might know that producer Sean helped me record this free podcast novel, but when it was done, there was nothing left for him to do but wander the world like David Carradine in Kung Fu without as much autoerotic asphyxiation. The point is, we're ready to kick off the second season of Ruins of Empire, which means I need to get producer Sean off the road and back into the recording studio. So to help with that, I've got the second book of the Ruins of Empire series on pre-release on Kickstarter. There, you have the chance to get a signed hardback or paperback copy of Templum Veneris, or you can get Saturnius Mons and Templum Veneris together, or you can just throw a dollar in the pot. Everyone who contributes gets their name in the acknowledgement section of Templum Veneris, and, and will prove that people actually give a crap about this little project and producer Sean's role in it. I'm still not going to pay him, just to be clear, but I think the idea that I could might just be enough to get him to suffer through another recording session.
1: You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book 1 of the Ruins of Empire Project a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. The refineries have been destroyed. War between the Perfinduloi and Urbanoi appears inevitable, and Vago became incapacitated after falling into the Legia Mar trying to save Cronus. The only hope was a desperate plan that Kronos concocted to activate the screens inside the city and use them to convince the people of Titan that it is the wish of the Companio that they stop the war. But, realizing they needed help, they made their way to Halifaco and the Perfunduloi Lair, and after convincing them to help, began to make plans for a way to sneak back into the city.
0: Chapter 29 It is possible that Earth's civilization could have survived the global revolution. By this time, the great megacities were ruins, and war, famine, disease, and a host of other atrocities left smaller cities all but abandoned. But a second storm was brewing, one that would sweep away any remains of the greatest
1: civilization humans had ever assembled. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff
0: Vago squatted in the mud and looked through the scope of the assault rifle. A few Vengantos shot across the moonlit sky, but they didn't stop or show any signs of interest in the people crawling out of the tunnel among the mammoths. "'I don't believe it,' said Vago, lowering his gun. "'It's like they can't see us.' Nearby, Kronos climbed a muddy embankment. "'Of course they cannot see us,' he said with an angry, harsh tone. "'Just because there is no light we can see does not mean there is no light.' They use the light from all living things to see, but many things live. Not just us, but... Cronus was cut off when the ground underneath him gave way, and he slid into a pile of something unspeakable. Let me be clear. That does not mean I endorse this plan. Vago turned his attention back to the sky. What the hell is he babbling about? Althea ran her hands down the side of one of the mammoths. Body heat, she said. The Venganto must have some means of using infrared radiation as night vision. She stopped and shook her head. These mammoths are sick. They are so thin and they seem to have some form of diarrhea. Fago had noticed the ground around the mammoths was squishier than anywhere else on the moon, and the powerful odor could be the other reason the Venganta were keeping their distance. Any breath too deep brought a tear to his eye. It also didn't take a lot of imagination to guess at why. The Titanian ecosystem was failing and, with the destruction of the refineries, was on a death spiral. Against the moonlight, the leaves hung like wilted flower petals. The brush under his feet crackled with every step. Halafako surveyed the Perfonduloy army hiding between the mammoths. Behind him, ten soldiers pushed the railgun through the sludge. How close are we? asked Vago. Halifaco walked up to him in slow, easy strides. That should be the last of them. Vago slung the rifle over his shoulder. About damn time. So what happens now? Are we just here to wade through mammoth bass? Or have we got a plan? The horn from the city goes off at regular intervals, said Halifaco. Then the herd moves to a new location. It will stop near the river where my men can show you to a place where the water from the city drains. My people will stay with the herd. They will travel close to the city next. Vago adjusted his hat. Oh, thank the gods. And here I was worried that I wouldn't get to stomp through more, um bias Althea stepped beside Vago. That'll be fine. Once we're in the tunnels, we can find a way, right, Cronus? Cronus extracted himself from the pile and looked down at his arrow suit. My files contain a thorough explanation of the city's systems. Much has changed in the many years, but it should be enough to get us close. Though I fear I may never smell the same again. Vago shielded his nose. I smelled you coming off the shuttle, Cronus. I can't say this is appreciably worse. Althea shushed both of them and cocked her head. Somewhere in the distance, a horn blew from the city. Just as a flock of birds move as one, the mammoths all started walking together. The team kept close in the dark to keep from falling beneath one of the gigantic feet. Above, the Venganto continued their patrol, oblivious to the army moving beneath them. Vega waved goodbye to the perfenduloy soldiers as they darted back into the forest for the safety of the mammoth herd a few meters away. There was enough light from Saturn's many moons to cast a shadow, but the whole area was bathed in a dense fog rising from the running water. Vago shouldered his rifle and took a quick look at the sky. We're clear for now, but I don't like the idea of being out here in the open. Kronos, got a lock on that sewer entrance? Kronos pulled up his sleeve. Just a few meters ahead, and I have found a path that should lead us to the pyramid. Great, said Vago, sliding down an icy embankment. He hit the ground next to the river and stumbled and the world spun around him. Althea dropped beside him. Are you okay, Vago? Vago coughed. My stomach feels like it's in free fall, and I think I can feel my toe rattling around my boot. Althea stopped him and made him look her in the eye. Anything else? Vago wanted to push her away, and he did in the gentlest, most polite way possible. We're exposed, Althea. I'll be fine, we can't stay out here long. Fago helped Kronos down the embankment, and they moved on. All the time, the withdrawal effects of Triple T made itself known. His mind started to wander, and it was hard to stay focused. And it was all made worse given that his body was still recovering from an overdose. It had been years since he took enough tea to rage out, and it made his brain feel like he'd just come out of a month-long bender. Nothing felt real. It was all shapes and shadows like from a dream. They came to a block of concrete sticking out of the embankment. A slow stream ran out of the metal grate and emptied into the ammonia-laced water of the river. Vago had to maneuver carefully to keep his feet out of the Sub-Zero liquid. The grate had been forgotten for an extended length of time, as evidenced by the fact that the metal bars were rusted all the way through in some cases. It only took a quick jerk to pull the metal away from the concrete. Vago knelt beside it, took a flashlight from Althea, and peered inside. It was long, dark, and reeked of the worst of humanity. Vago put the flashlight away. Okay, Kronos, you're leading the way. The hacker had a disgusted look on his face, but he did as he was told. He disappeared into the darkness until, deep inside, there was a splash, and Kronos cursed the world. Vigo suppressed a laugh. All right, Althea, you next. Althea paused. Are you sure you're up for this? You look a little... You don't look well. Vigo shook his head and tried to clear it. I'm fine. I'll maintain. Enough to get us through this. The quicker is better, so... If you please. Do you need a dose of Triple T? The words ignited a powerful hunger somewhere in Vago's mind. He did. More than anything. He wanted to bite the shard and clear his mind. He wanted the haze to lift and see this horrible world in color and in high definition. He wanted to feel all his senses operating at their highest level. He wanted... Vago swallowed the urge. No, I'm fine. I just need... Althea reached into her bag. Now's not the time to be brave, Vago. Do you need it? She held out a small handful of blue capsules, around ten by Vago's count, which probably represented the last of his stash. Vago reached out to take one. He placed it between his teeth and bit down. This wasn't a great place to come out of a haze. The smell was so thick as to be asphyxiating. There was nothing left to see but gloom and fog. They weren't far from the burning remains of the refineries here, and he could almost taste the charred petrochemicals and steel in the air. Althea kept a close eye on him as his mind came around to normal. She watched him close, waiting for the telltale sign that he was no longer lost. She smiled. Feel better. Bego nodded. In one swift motion, Althea threw the rest of the blue capsules somewhere in the distance. It happened so fast. If he were to see it coming, maybe he could have made a dive for them. Maybe he could have caught a precious few before they smashed against the rocks or dropped to the bottom of the frigid creek. But all he could do was watch dumbfounded as the last of his stash disappeared forever. Althea brushed her hands together. That's it, then. Enjoy that last dose. When we get back to Earth, you'll be going into a program. You're going to get yourself cleaned up, and I never want to hear of you messing with that dreadful stuff again. Are we clear? Vigil still stared in the direction that Althea threw the shards of Triple T. T. He wanted to push her away and go digging in the mud. Even if he found just one, one remaining shard of tea intact, it would be worth it. Yeah, Althea, he muttered. I get it. Good, said Althea. Now stay close. She climbed into the tunnel and started crawling into the darkness. Mago risked one more look back at the debris where Althea tossed the last of his drugs. Then he followed. (laughs) derelict felt empty. A few of the wounded stayed behind, but most everyone who was able volunteered for the battle. Aside from the occasional moans or the faint footsteps on metal, the ship was completely silent, and it made the ancient freighter feel like a crypt. Isra sat on a bench, arranging some equipment Kronos left behind for her. They consisted of a portable computer as thin as a scrap of sheet metal that was operated by a holographic interface that floated just above it, a couple of spherical camera drones, and by far the largest piece, a portable microwave transmitter as large as a suitcase. She set the thin computer flat on her lap and waved her hand over its surface to activate it. Several shining spheres with labels orbiting their axes appeared and she selected one that would sync the computer to her aerosuit computer. Kronos assured her that it would be easy to hack into the Corporation signal. Time to see if it was worth keeping the miserable little hacker alive, or if she'd be better off ordering Vago to dump him into the Lagia Mar. She opened the case and unfolded the transmitter dish. As soon as she did, the hologram over the portable computer took on a life of its own. The spheres disappeared and were replaced by a rapid series of diagrams, numbers, and shapes until a window popped up announcing that the signal was locked. Issa allowed herself a smile. Maybe he wasn't completely worthless. She sat back down and picked up one of the camera drones. It activated in her hand, and she watched as the hologram over the portable computer changed into an image of her. She raised the drone up, released it, and let it hang in the air. She did the same with the second one. She synced both of those with her Eros computer and moved them in position by waving her hand. She adjusted their positions and their built-in lights until the display on the portable computer showed that she was just a barely visible dark figure against a black background. Isra felt it was a little ominous and on the nose, but it would have to work. One final step. She patched her radio through the portable computer and started speaking. She used the computer to modulate her voice until it had a low, resonating tone to it. Isra was aware of how the whole production looked. Shadowy figure, deep, booming voice. It sounded good when they discussed it earlier, but now that she saw it, she wondered how anyone could take it seriously. She sat back and closed her eyes, forcing herself to relax. It didn't matter now. The plan was in progress, and it did no good to worry about the semantics. She touched her Eros computer and activated the radio. Vago, Althea, Kronos, I am ready to begin the transmission. Let me know when you are in place. Vago crawled out of the tunnel, keeping low to the ground behind some brush. He surveyed his surroundings and noticed, with no small amount of irritation, that they were not inside the pyramid. They weren't far, only fifty or so meters, but Vago felt that it was a small but important distinction given the nature of their operation. Vago pulled up his sleeve and whispered, Roger, are just moving now. He tapped the display on his aerosuit and whispered, "Halifaxo, you in position? There was a pause before Halifaco's voice came over the radio. We are. The weapon is in position and ready to fire. Vago looked around again. There was an air of calm here in the courtyard. There was only one group of soldiers that Vago could see, and they were walking through the grass with a certain relaxed stride. Then fire, said Vago. We're ready. The radio went to static for a moment. Very well. Firing the weapon. Vago was far enough away that, when the railgun went off, all he could hear was a strange, high-pitched wail, followed by the rumble of stone and concrete collapsing. The soldiers, casually patrolling the grassy area, stopped, and then moved at double time toward the source of the commotion. He helped Althea and Kronos out of the tunnel and activated the screen on his aerosuit. How much time do we need, Kronos? Kronos glanced at the pyramid. Once you get the power on, about five minutes. Vigo checked the map on his screen. We've got to make the substation four kilos from here. Halifaco agreed to give us ten minutes. Let's make him count. Vigo took off running toward the pyramid with Althea and Kronos following. The first obstacle was the guards in front of the steel door. Even with the city in crisis, the relic inside was important enough to the city that they would never leave it unattended. But the guards wouldn't be armed with anything more impressive than their standard-issue clubs and snares. The new weaponry confiscated off dead marines would be used in battle. Fago made short work of them. He crept around the side of the pyramid and caught them unaware and at gunpoint. He made them lay down and Althea bound their hands with some plastic shackles she took from the armory. It took a short few seconds for Althea and Kronos to bypass the ancient keypad, and then the door was open. After that, they moved through the empty halls of the pyramid toward the center and the supercomputer. The acolytes were missing, a fact that didn't cause Vago too much distress at the moment. Fewer people to have to secure and watch. Within five minutes, Kronos was back in the chair of the Marquis 8700 with his own equipment scattered around him, typing away furiously on the keyboard. "'You good here, Kronos?' asked Vago, finishing one last sweep of the area. Kronos didn't answer. He was far too absorbed in what he was doing, and that was a good enough answer for Vago. He and Althea bolted for the exit. Althea stopped at the door and asked for Vago's assault rifle. He handed it over without question and checked the area for any additional soldiers. While he did that... She used the butt of the rifle to bash open a panel off to the side of the metal door. She pulled out some wires and twisted them together. Before Vago could ask what she was doing, she grabbed and pulled him through the doorway before the metal door slammed shut, damn near catching his white coat in the process. Althea handed the gun back as she observed her handiwork. I felt it prudent to rig the door close. Give Cronus some more time to work. We're going to be able to get him out again, right? said Vago. A smile crept across Althea's face. Assuming you want him out, yes, most likely. One way or another. Vago felt somehow obligated to try and pull the door open. Even if he could find a decent handhold on the solid steel, it wouldn't budge. Good enough. Right. Just a few minutes left. We need to get to the transformer. They both sprinted through the courtyard and into the city. The soldiers were all moving at a run toward the conflict outside the gates and didn't notice Vago and Althea creeping through the shadows. Soon, they were in position at the substation. Vago shut and barricaded the door with some scattered debris inside while Althea followed Kronos' instructions to warm up the equipment. The timing was perfect. Vago finished his work and stood next to a lever as long as his arm. Kronos, are you ready? asked Vago. Over the sound of typing, Kronos said, Do it now! Vago nodded to Althea. She flipped a series of switches, and Vago pulled hard on the lever. It resisted at first, but, with some effort, He was able to jam it into place. Somewhere in the bowels of the substation, machinery started spitting, sputtering, and finally roaring to life. A red light above the panel flipped to green. That did it, said Kronos over the radio. Power back up to 50%. Diverting to the screens now. Vago ran his hand down the length of his cue. Okay, Isra, we're ready. Silence on the other end. Althea and Vago exchanged worried glances. Vago tried again. "'Isra, come in. Are you ready?' Still nothing. There was static, and Halifax's voice came in from the field against the background of machine-gun fire. "'We've got soldiers on us. Hundreds. We cannot hold them for very long.' "'Isra, damn it! We've got to do this now!' yelled Vago. Isra's voice finally came in. "'There is a problem.'
1: You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of the Ruins of Empire project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was broken reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.